Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and a special dual episode of the podcast. This is the fourth episode in our week-long series from the Carolinas GCSA Conference and Show in beautiful Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, although we're on the road back from South Carolina to Valley View, Ohio. It is also the next episode in our ongoing regular monthly series, Greens with Envy, where we talk about where we've been, who we've seen, what courses we played, etc., etc. And who is we? I'm Matt Lowell, managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and I'm joined today, as always, by my friend and colleague, Guy Cipriano. Guy, you're driving, so I'm going to hold the microphone. How are you doing? What's going on? I'm doing great, Matt, and I just fell in love. With what? Well, I know Lindsay's not listening, so I fell in love with a place that we just got off about two hours ago called Ashboro Municipal Golf Course in Ashboro, North Carolina. Ashboro Municipal Golf Course in Ashboro, North Carolina, right off 77. We stopped there on the way down from Ohio to South Carolina just because we saw it really from the side of the highway. We looked at it, we realized we didn't have the time on Sunday to play it, but we talked with the pro there, Andy Nelson, and when we got back there today, uh, Andy wasn't there, the superintendent, Joe Pecarello wasn't there, uh, but we talked with some great folks, we played a few holes with a, a great retired Navy and Air Force veteran, Rodney, and he played very, very well, and he was the only one of us who would hit the shots that he needed to hit because he was familiar with the course, but what an incredible nine-holer guy. Authentic Donald Ross, man. It's, it's as it, real as it gets, and only 50 miles from Pinehurst, North Carolina. The reason, I think, on Sunday that we stopped down was because we wanted to see a golf course and just walk around and you know look at the clubhouse and look out at a few holes because it was right off the interstate, right? Like, so you want to get out and stretch your legs and do that type of thing. And we knew it looked intriguing just from our, like, 10-minute preview of it on Sunday. And today on the way home, well, we are on the way home. We're not home yet. We're about halfway there. We wanted to play some golf, get out, stretch your legs, walk nine holes. This is only a nine-holer. And we did that. Yeah, we, as I said, I'm in love. So, Guy, what was it really about the course? We talked about while we were playing, and we talked about the course earlier on our drive after we played it, one of the things that makes this course so fun is that it was opened in 1935 or 1937, if you believe the hats. It was either 1935 on the sign of the scorecard or 1937. Matt, why don't you tell the hat story before we get on the, the golf course? that we bought in the clubhouse. They're just really nice uh, six-panel ball caps, Ashboro Municipal Golf Course, it says. And the caps in 1937, they were 10 bucks a piece. Guy has this theory that they're trying to get rid of them all so they can order caps that actually say 1935. I don't know. I, it's a nice cap. I don't care what year it says. Well, no, we bought the caps, and I was getting ready to send out a, a tweet about the golf course and check the scorecard and check some photos I took in the clubhouse to make sure that the course was open in 1935. Sent out the tweet. We got driving, and I look in the rearview mirror, I'm staring at the the caps that we have on. We're both wearing our Ashboro Municipal Golf Course caps on the way home. How dorky is that? And I, I look at the hat. It's in 1937. I'm like, the course opened in 1935. So whatever. They're cool hats. 
nobody really, I think, is going to call us out on the fact that, you know, that I don't think we're going to run into too many people to say, oh, Ashburn Municipal Golf Course. A, I know that place. And B, actually, I'd like to point out that it was opened in 1935. Yeah, I don't think we're going to run into that type of person where we live in Ohio or anywhere we go on the trail. But uh, what a awesome, awesome golf experience. Just, it was real. It was authentic. It's been a dry fall in North Carolina from what people were telling us. And we're only 50 miles from Pinehurst, so you had the, the towering pine trees and the sandy soils and the rolling terrain. And you know, just in nine holes, you had holes that played right. You had holes that played left. You had holes that played downhill. You had holes that played uphill. You had some big greens. You had some really small greens. You even had a cross bunker or two. There was a pond. Uh, there was a par three, the seventh hole, Matt. Oh, you want to tell, so... tell the scene on, uh, on the par three, seventh hole? I, I don't... Oh, so you finish six, and the sixth green is very close to the seventh tee, and there's a chain-link fence that brings the course, and there's a little service road between the course and then some businesses. And you are, from the seventh tee box, maybe 50 feet? 60 feet, you're, you're, you're a long putt away from, in order, I, I, there were so many, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget a few, but I think it was Taco Bell, Biscuitville, Bojangles, Wendy's, Arby's, Arby's Dario, all these, this string of fast food restaurants, and if the folks in front of you were slow and there was an issue with pace of play, you could, in theory, pop the fence, through the drive-thru, order your food, get your food, come back onto the course, and then tee off on this wonderful little par three seventh hole that I think from the back tees was maybe 152 or 154 yards. Super fun little hole. What what a what a fun course. And I think, and you made the point, guy, but we what, just drove into West Virginia, everybody. Sorry to interrupt. What makes it so <laughs> fun is that this course opened in the 1930s more than 85 years ago and you said real authentic vintage Ross and part of that is because it really hasn't been tampered with at all in the last eight plus decades a lot of it feels like it probably did in the 1930s the greens might be a little smaller but the bunkers feel the same the contouring feels the same the greens are really challenging actually back to the seventh hole before we get into that oh okay so we're yeah. All this was to the left of the tea box, fast food row. Whatever. You, want to, you want to go back to all these restaurants? They're not paying us anything, okay? No, no. But then, if you don't look to your left and look look just straight out at the hole, it's this narrow tea box placed through a, sh a shoot of trees that were at peak foliage right now, to a uh, a green that's sloped with some bunkers on the le left and right that mm -hmm. looked like authentic Donald Ross. So, if you didn't look to the left. And just looked straight ahead, you saw a magnis magnificent, short, and 140-yard Donald Ross design part three, and it was an outstanding closing stretch. Wait, because, hold on. Are you trying to tell me that that Bojangles and that Arby's and that Wendy's and that Dario weren't there when Donald Ross built the course? No, I don't think they were, Matt. Oh, well, that's your opinion. But the closing, and then you play that hole, just a great part three. You stand on the tee... Number eight, it's downhill. It's a right to left shot, a little bit blind, a pond at the bottom of the hill. You know, then it plays left to the green. 
and then you play the ninth hill, and it plays left to right, so you go from a right uh, right to left hole to a left to right hole, so both ball types there at the end have, have a chance. The ninth hole plays through these pines, left to right, and then the, the approach shot to the green is uphill, and then you have this like cozy looking cottage that serves as the clubhouse, and it's just an idyllic ending to this awesome golf course that you can tell that not too much has been done to it. You know, through the years and through maintenance practices, the greens have obviously shrunk in size. There's some great contours still in them. You can tell some things have been done with the bunkers because there are some bunkers that kind of looked circular and modern, and then there are some bunkers that looked like exactly what Donald Ross would have placed on the course in the 1930s. And the turf conditions were solid. You know, Joe Piccarella and team, what they do is unbelievable. They, they are like many crews across the south in the transition zone right now in a Sisyphean battle with leaves. I know that they they blew the course clear this morning, and by the time we got on it a little afternoon, just sheaths of leaves had fallen again. So they're going to be in that in that fight for a while still, but that takes nothing away from the maintenance work that they're doing on that course. It's in great shape. And, and the golf course proves my theory, and we've talked about this before, Matt, on Greens with Envy, is that the best golf experiences you have and some of the most authentic and real ones you have are places that you didn't even know existed until you drove by them mm -hmm. or maybe did a little research for a trip. I had, I had no idea that course existed until Sunday afternoon. And here we are, 50 miles from Pinehurst, North Carolina. You know, everybody knows Pinehurst and Pine Needles and now Southern Pines after the restoration and Mid Pines and Tobacco Road and the Dormy Club and it just goes on and on. And a lot of that's marketing, right? Well, who is there to market Ashboro Municipal Golf Course? You don't see spots for it on the Golf Channel. You don't hear ads for it on your favorite consumer golf podcast. You don't see pictures of it in Golf Digest and Golf Magazine and Golf Week. And you don't see it in the ratings. And that's a shame because there, we've talked about it. There are thousands of golf courses in the United States, just like Ashboro Municipal Golf Course, that are just unbelievable golf experiences. And they mean so much to the people that play it. And, you know, it only cost us $10 to play. That's because we didn't live in Ashboro. If we lived in Ashboro, it would have cost us $8 to play. $8 to walk nine Donald Ross holes. Imagine that, friends. I would have paid 50 bucks to walk nine holes on this golf course, Matt. It was that good. Of course, you know, the weather was perfect today, too, mm -hmm. and we were in shorts, and we're not going to be in shorts again this year when we get home to Northeast Ohio. Nope. So it, it was just perfect in so many ways. And when we got done, there was a group of older guys sitting on the porch of this clubhouse I was describing, just holding court. Uh, two of them had the same hats on that we have on with the wrong year that the course opened. <laughs> but it, just such an authentic, real, I keep using those words, golf experience. And you know, last year, we had the good fortune on the way home from the Carolinas GCSA show to play the Cradle, which is one of those hip courses. About two, two years ago. Two years ago. And you see it in all the golf publications and all the what do we call them? Woke golf crowd talks yeah. about the cradle and, all the time. And it's magnificent, and I love it. And the, the golf bag I use is a green cradle bag. I, I take it with me everywhere. It was wonderful. Uh, but there are other courses, of course. Yeah, and the cradle's awesome, but the cradle is also marketed heavily. Mm -hmm. And you hear about it all over the place. You don't hear about Ashboro Municipal Golf Course, well, until you listen to this podcast. And you know, both experiences were awesome. 
Matt, the cradle was the first place you and I played golf together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for me as somebody that is looking for a bit of a deeper golf experience and a hitting golf experience and not the same golf experience everyone else has, you know, I'd rather play the Ashboro Municipal Golf Course. And that's not a knock on cradle, but the cradle, but there's so many golf courses like this out there. And this one happened to be designed by arguably the most famous golf course architect of the golden age. And you felt like you were playing something that resembled what it looked like and played like and felt like after Donald Ross got done there. Although I will say there probably weren't as many trees on the golf course after <laughs> Donald Ross got done with it in 1935 or 1937 or whatever heck year it was. It was a tremendous gift to discover that course and to play that course today. And I look forward to the gift of playing that course again next year, either on our way down to the 2022 Carolinas GCSA Conference in Schoen Myrtle Beach or on the way back. And I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be better the second time too. Right. That's the thing, we know where to hit the ball now. We know that there's a pond at number eight that we can hit our drives on. You know, a, a great golf course, if you play a golf course the first time and you think it's great, wait till you really get to know the golf course. And you know, what's an adjective that's above great? Tremendous, fantastic, terrific, marvelous, fascinating. I don't know. Stupendous. We get paid to work with words. So anyway, uh, I'm on a golfer's high because we walked this course about two hours ago, two and a half, three hours ago now. And also I chugged a Mountain Dew from the Bojangles because <laughs> we did stop and get biscuits because we can't do that up north after we got, got off the course. No, playing, playing the course this year was a gift. Playing the course next year was a gift. The Cajun chicken biscuit with pimento cheese was a gift. And what is also a gift, friends, if you've been listening to the podcast all week, you may know where I'm going to go with this, are the shirts and caps and tumblers and baby bibs from turfteshirts.com. Pick up any of their fine products in time for... Thanksgiving, in time for Hanukkah, in time for Christmas. Let's not forget about Festivus, a holiday for the rest of us. There is, of course, the earring of grievances and the feats of strength, but you can also give gifts for Festivus. Whatever holidays you give gifts for, consider turfteshirts.com, where maybe, just maybe, by this time next year, they'll be selling shirts with a two-blade propeller on it that says fly high at the Arrow Club. And that's going to be the next course we talk about. The Arrow Club, which is a brand new course, opened just last year in October 2020 in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Matt, why don't you take it away on this one? So the Arrow Club was, I, I can't even remember what the old name of the Arrow Club was. It was, was the old Midway Part 3. And when you mentioned the Midway Part 3 to anyone that's played a significant amount of golf in Myrtle Beach, they know what that was because you fly over whenever you land in the airport. You see it if you fly into Myrtle Beach, which I'm sure most people do not for the Carolinas GCSA conference and show, but if you do fly into Myrtle Beach, you, you see it from your seat if you're lucky enough to have a window seat. It's now the Aero Club. It is owned by Chip Smith, who I guess also owns Whispering Pines. That's the other one you see from the airport when you're flying it in out of Myrtle Beach. And he bought it a couple of years ago. He reopened it last October, October 2020, 
And this was in an online story that I just happened to find. This is from, I believe, WBTW, a station in Myrtle Beach. You can play this in an hour, hour and a half, and play all 18 holes. This is Chip Smith, owner of the Aero Club. It's good for families and kids who are just starting out with golf, learning how to play. And a lot of times you have golfers who played a round of championship golf who just want to come out and relax. And the course had really been unused for three years. But now it's beautiful, 18 holes. There's 27 speakers, music playing all night. Guy and I were rattling off song titles and bands and artists throughout our round. Uh, we were with our young sales guy, Andrew Hatfield. Very fun round. The course is lit. We were played most of our around under the lights nothing is over 100 yards i don't even know if anything's over 90 yards you really only need three clubs it is a tremendously fun course guy anyone that listens to this podcast knows that we love short courses man we do we have a story about short courses in literally every other magazine i think we have one coming up in january and I might just write about the Arrow Club in the January 2022 issue. Yeah, so a flat piece of land that's been turned into something really special. That I thought it was cool, and I, I brought this up as we played. None, none of the 18 greens look the same. Sometimes you get to some of these uh, courses that are in flat pieces of land that are short courses, and you're not even sure if the person that designed them had a golf background, and they're still fun to play. But the greens were very, very, uh, they were varied. There was contouring around the greens. We saw some... Uh, bunkers on the course but not too many there were these cool plantings and i don't know if i'd call them native areas but landscape areas there were they, some they they looked like native areas so if they weren't that's what they were intended to replicate i'm sure there were some ponds and retention areas but they didn't come into play unless you hit an awful shot right, uh, the, i had one or two of those i thought the lighting was really really good and you know the fact that all the holes were what 90 yards or less right that's important because if if you had 150 160 yard holes and people were hitting longer shots you'd really need you know a different type of lighting in there you need higher lighting you need more lights and at that point it probably doesn't become affordable but uh, I thought the branding and and the theme of the golf course was excellent I mean the Aero Club with the airport right there uh, very patriotic golf course uh, well and they they do have a military theme there I know they they offer an everyday military discount and as you pull in they also had I don't know if it was four or five spaces. I don't know if they had one for the Coast Guard. But they did have a space reserved up front, one each for each branch of the military. So this space reserved for Army veterans, this space reserved for Navy veterans, Marine veterans, Air Force veterans. So very patriotic feel inside and out. Yeah, and inside, uh, they have different coolers with different types of you know, drinks on it, drink holders on every hole. You can get a craft beer, you can get a regular beer, you can get a Powerade. Matt had a red Powerade. Well, I don't drink so. Andrew and I tried some of the, uh, what, local beers that we can't get home. That's something that we do on a golf course industry trip. Uh, you know, so the clubhouse was neat and tidy and uh, had, had the American flag, had some stuff about the, uh, the history uh, of some of the uh, service groups down there, what there were parking spaces for everyone in the different branch of the armed forces which was re really cool uh the music what, what were they playing like 70s and 80s music uh mostly 60s and 70s yeah i remember white rabbit for sure and i can't remember any of the other ones it took us what a little bit over two hours to play oh we, we stopped we, at the clubhouse we, yeah, we to talk to the time. guy working in the pro shop 
we, we took our time. We um, got pretty spirited between us, too. I got fiercely competitive on that back nine. Uh, you got fiercely competitive on the back nine. Yeah, well, that happens sometimes. Yeah. But uh, a great place to play. And you think about the golf clientele in Myrtle Beach, right? You have people coming down basically to play as much golf as they can in three to five days. You know, I, I know the group that I'm in, the, the Hooligans Golf League in Northeast Ohio, we've gone down to Myrtle Beach now twice in the last three years. That trip will be moved to Mesquite, Nevada next March instead of Myrtle Beach. Oh, when wow. you think about people coming down this time of year, there's limited daylight, right? Like, really from... 8 a.m. to about 5 p.m. is when you can play golf in the winter in Myrtle Beach. Well, this extends that into the night, and from what we were told, they, there's a lot of morning play there, and then it picks back up at, at night, and there's a gap in the middle of the day. And You know, one thing that we have not talked about is just the conditions that Danny Allen and his team provide. I mean, that's high-level Bermuda grass playing surfaces. Uh, the tees are Bermuda grass. The greens are Bermuda grass. Uh, very, very nice putting surfaces. Uh, they had us hitting off mats last night, which is fine. I don't think anybody really cares you're outside. Uh, you know, the music's playing, it's night. You got drinks in your hand, uh, but they did have really nice tees, and you can tell that there's playoff turf. It just wasn't, you know, probably in the winter, they're really protective of the surface. Surfaces, especially with them being young, but no, really cool addition to the Myrtle Beach golf market. And if you think about it, Myrtle Beach has, what, 80 plus golf courses, a lot of different golf courses, but really, this is the best par three option in town, and I, I think it's going to attract a lot of play. I think it's going to become a big hit. You're going to have more and more, you know, the whole short course movement. And also, if you think about, you know, families go to Myrtle Beach apparently, not when I'm there. I'm usually there in the spring, <laughs> not, and winter not in, when it's just golfers. Right, not in November. I think there were like two kids at the Carolinas GCSA conference and show November during the middle of the week is not the time when families and, and kids are normally in. Myrtle Beach on a vacation. No, you're right. So I can see families going out there to play a quick nine or a quick 18 and do something off the beach during their summer vacation. So it seems like the market, uh, it could be a hit in that market when you think of all the different people that come through there and all the people that love golf and all the families and people looking for outdoor activities to do. And uh, uh, I'm sure we'll, you know, we talked about going back to Asheboro Municipal Golf Course on our drive down to Myrtle Beach next year. I'm sure when I'm in Myrtle Beach, uh, again, next year for this event, as long as the weather is well, I think we're going to play the Aero Club. Heck, we should rent out the Aero Club and have a golf course industry night there next year. That would be a blast. And you, a minute ago, name-dropped one of the the big reasons, I think, why this club is so successful. Obviously, owner Chip Smith purchased it, relaunched it, uh, brought it back to life. But you name-dropped Danny Allen. And... I've only been covering the industry for not quite three years, so I don't have this encyclopedic knowledge of everybody. Um, but Danny Allen, longtime veteran, especially in the Carolinas, he was the superintendent at Camden Country Club for almost 40 years. He's a past president of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association. Uh, his brother, Randy, I guess, is also a past president. So you're bringing in a, a guy who really knows everything there is to know probably about agronomy in the Carolinas and you're just letting them have fun with this little par three short course uh so you're you're bringing in and this is not to take anything away from you know the young kids but you're bringing in someone who is at the end of the career who can really get this course going and, and not just a uh, a hungry 22 23 24 year old who might be trying to get their foot in the door. So I think I feel like we didn't talk with him, but I feel like Danny Allen's probably a big, big uh, plus 
for the Aero Club as well. And also the location's tremendous, right? It's right on 17 mm -hmm. there on the drive from uh, Myrtle Beach down to uh, Myrtle's Inlet and Polly. So, what, tens of thousands of cars pass there every day. Right. And on Monday on our way from our house to the Carolinas GCSA Golf Championship at Wachesaw Plantation Club, we passed the course. And, Matt, remember what I said? I go, oh, look, you know, there, there's a, the new par 3 course. And, oh, wow, it looks like those are basically new golf course triplex mowers mowing the greens out there so we knew when we saw that, that the level of maintenance there is high the, the owner also owns whispering pines so i'm sure they share resources because whispering pines is right across the street so the whole thing makes sense and I, I suspect it'll be a big hit in that market and if you're going down to myrtle beach whether you're going down for the conference and show or you're just going down for vacation or you live there if you plan it right with all the golf options in and around Myrtle Beach, you could, in one day, one 24-hour day, and less than that with daylight, you could play 18 championship holes at any of the 80-plus golf courses that are around there. You could play 18 holes of short course, par threes, at the Aero Club. You could play some really, really great mini golf courses. I know this isn't a butt-butt show, but we've now played Captain Hooks, where the, uh, the putt-putt outing has been for the last couple of conference and shows. We've played that twice. And that course, you joked about it, but they really did make capital improvements uh, between 2019 and 2021. Uh, new turf, new carpet turf, uh, a lot of new wood, new bridges, new platforms. Everything was really, really actually beautiful. It didn't look like there was really any wear and tear on that. You could play disc golf. So in one day, you could play championship golf, short course, putt-putt, and disc golf. That would be quite the day. Four courses, 72 or 90 holes, four different forms of golf. And if you really play it right, you could probably go to Top Golf as a nightcap. You could. I don't know how late they're open, but maybe they're they're open late. You could do five. That would, that would be something. Yeah, you want to talk to talk about Wachasaw Plantation Club now? Because, uh, wow, what a golf course that is. Yeah, so you played Wachasaw two years ago at the golf outing, at the conference and show. I did not play that year because I was new to golf and I did not want to embarrass myself. I could hardly hold a club at that point in time. And my, my, my game off the tee is still hot garbage, but it's, it's slightly lukewarm garbage now. It's not hot garbage anymore. Um, so I played this year as well with you. It was my first time out. It was at least your second time. I'll tell you what. There were probably 60, 70 people there for the golf outing. Uh, some cart, some uh, holes had two groups on it at a time. And super fun. I played with, uh, with a couple of great folks. You played with some great folks. Scott Fretz and his team there had that course. And I know there's pressure when a lot of your peers come in and, and play your course, even more so probably than, than members because the fellow superintendents will know what to look for even more than the members, but Scott Fretz and his group just had that course in impeccable condition. That was a gorgeous, gorgeous golf course in great shape. Yeah, very fortunate to get a chance to play it two years ago. It's one of the three courses now used in the Carolinas GCSA Golf Championship outing. The other two are uh, Caledonia and True Blue, which are Mike Strance's names on the scorecard as the designer of those two. Uh, but Mike Strands also had a big role in 
the designing of Wachasa Plantation Club, which you know, Tom Fazio is the, the architect's name on the, the scorecard, but Mike Strands definitely did work there too from everything that we've been told. In fact, one of the tea, sets of tees the club has is called the, they're called the Strands Tees. So why would you name a tee after somebody that didn't work at the golf course? But I was super excited when they sent out the pairings last week and uh, it, it came up as Wachasa Plantation Club because like I just mentioned with the Ashboro Municipal Golf Course, a great golf course or a great golf experience is even, you know, hey, we need gas. But anyway, we're, we're near the Tamarack. We're fine, everybody. But uh, just when you play a golf course multiple times, you really, truly get a, a sense of what it's all about. And Washington Plantation Club is one of the few private clubs in Myrtle Beach. You know, nearly every course in that market is a public or a reserve golf course. And Anybody can go make a tea time. It's a little bit tougher. Watch a South Plantation Club, and I called it everyday golf course. You know what that means, Matt? An everyday golf course. So that'd be a course that you could go to and play every day and actually not be bored. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. I mean, oh, okay. it's so fascinating. Uh, you know, each hole has a different personality, or it's tough to describe because Myrtle Beach is a. You think about it. With all that golf there, and it used to be over 100 courses in that market at one time, pretty much everybody that wanted to develop and design a golf course was given the same ingredients. Mm -hmm. A flat piece of land that was somewhat near the beach, but not on the beach, and they all had to come up with something different. And yeah, this certainly happened at Washington Plantation Club. Uh, Scott Fretz and team are a big reason why that course is so awesome and successful. Scott's been there for nearly 20 years and yeah, dialed in. I don't know what, what the step is above dialed in, but it, they were just locked in. Yeah, incredible fall golf conditions. Uh, uh, and the course is very playable. That's why I call it an everyday golf course. Wide corridors, not, not a lot of force carries throughout the golf course. You can play some run up shots. Uh, the greens had interesting contours and you know, the personality of each hole would change depending on where the pin is. Uh, some fascinating shaping around the greens. How about the uh, turf bunkers at number 17, Matt? What were your thoughts of those seeing them for the first time? The grass bunkers were something else. And the difference in hills on 17 as well were, I mean, it was amazing. Uh, plus, I think they had gators in, in the pond at 17. Is that right? Yeah, I saw them basking. We're fumbling for our easy pass in the car because we're getting to go through a, uh, a, a tall area right now. Guy has put it in the deepest well in the car, which is now being blocked by drinks from Bojangles. Got it. So, yeah, 17, just these intimidating-looking grass bunkers. And whomever edges those and fly mows those, for Scott Fretz's team that does an amazing job because they're, they're architecturally defining characteristics and 17 wasn't the only hole they had them. I believe it was the third hole had some stuff right in the green that looked like, wow, you know, how do you edge those and not lose the character of them? But uh, they're, they're just deep grass bunkers and it's a long par three and you have to, you know, I, I said they're very few force carries. There is a force carry on 17 mm -hmm. to, get, to get it to the green, especially that pin placement on Monday was back right, just absolutely uh, brutal, but uh, a, a great par three. And then the 18th hole, and I, I put this on Twitter after the round, not many golf courses you play where you leave it and you remember a par five more than any hole. Par fives for 
whatever reason are just really tough holes to design. A lot of them are on exteriors of property or kind of there to connect the better pieces of land so that more par fours and threes can be uh, designed into those pieces of land. But the, the par five 18th hole is super memorable. It's just, it's just uh, you, you play through some trees off the tee and it's one of those where there's some risk reward where if you go left, you can bite off some of the carry. If you go right, there's a safe route to do it. Then there's a real tight landing area for the second uh, shot with like a pond and marsh on the left. And then you hit under this green that just has a gorgeous view of the Waccamaw River behind it. Uh, and it was, the view was even more special uh, this time of year because of the leaves were changing colors and it was just unbelievable really in, in so many ways. And you just, for me, I think it was the eighth hole that I played. For you, it was the, you started on the 18th hole. I started on the 18th, and I loved it. It was a tough start because of that par five, and I did not get off to a good start. Nobody cares about my round, but if I had played that course one to 18 rather than 18 all the way through to 17, 17 and 18 are consecutive. Just It's a great two-hole finish, and it makes that course, I imagine, if you play it one through 18, really, really memorable because it's almost like a great piece of music where there's a crescendo. That course crescendos and it finishes how I think a course really should finish. You know, you remember everything, but you really remember the end. And it's not because of some gimmick. It's because it's genuinely great holes. And Matt, try to describe to our listeners what you thought when you saw the 15th tee for the first time. You're gonna have to jog my memory because that was four days ago, and two think, huge oak it, trees that you had to shoot for, through. Maybe I've stricken it from my memory because I don't know. Maybe I didn't. Hit, okay, I don't, okay. I don't I'll take over. So the fifteenth, yeah, take, take over. You're, you're the one. The fifteenth is a shorter par <laughs> par four, but you, you the tee is designed right between two just gorgeous oak trees. If you stand at the back of the tee, which I, I don't think they ever put the markers back there, you'd have to hit a low screaming stinger shot just to get off the, the tee. And a really cool shot of beautiful trees. Uh, really, that's another really unique hole there at Washington South Plantation Club. The other really special thing about Wachesaw, I think, and, and maybe this was just being out with great company for four and a half, it was just a slow round for everybody, four and a half, five hours, um, is just the layout. And normally I wouldn't like long, long breaks, long drives between holes, but when you're with good company and you have to drive a couple of minutes from one green to the next tee, it makes that time, which should feel long, go a little slower. So what would normally be a negative really did seem like a positive uh, Monday during the outing, I thought. Maybe I just had a good group of guys. Yeah, I, I played with a trio from Northridge Country Club out of Raleigh, uh, Burke, Brooks, and Ford. And we had so much fun. I can't wait to visit Northridge, which is a 36-hole facility in Raleigh, uh, next time I'm in that area. Uh, that's one of the great things about playing in an industry golf outing we're talking about this awesome golf course here but I'm going to remember probably the people I met that day even more than the golf course and 
I would also recommend if you ever do play in something like a uh, outing in an industry event, try to play with people that you didn't come with. Try to play with people outside your club. Matt and I didn't play together, and we did that purposely so that we could meet new people. And yeah, it was just one of those dreamy days. I mean, the temperatures were in the low 60s, not a cloud in the sky. Best weather I've ever had in my six times playing in the Carolinas GCSA uh, golf championship. And, you know, hopefully next year, uh, the rotation of courses remains the same. I mean, Caledonia and True Blue are also awesome golf courses and uh, already looking forward to get, getting back and playing in that outing again next year. And if my name comes up as playing at Wachasaw Plantation Club, I'll be giddy again. I played with uh, Steve Jedrzejczyk, who's been in marketing for a few companies, uh, most recently New Farm, and then Sean Irish, who's the golf course superintendent at uh, Pine Valley, not that Pine Valley, Pine Valley in Wilmington, North Carolina. It just loved it. I mean, there were only three of us, uh, but it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great group. Great trip, great time. Uh, lucky, you know, not only did we spend all this great time at the uh, conference and show and the uh, trade show floor and in the uh, conference rooms, but we got to go outside and you know, play two great courses and Myrtle Beach and then get to play. Well, excuse me, four great courses because we played Lost Boys and uh, was it Hook's Revenge at Captain Hook. Thank you very much. <laughs> how could how could I forget? Yeah, Putt-Putt is golf too. So, yeah, great trip. Uh, you know, we're almost in Beckley, West Virginia now, so we just killed a bunch of our trip talking on this podcast, and we're not too far from the Greenbrier, which we have to make it back to soon. Yeah. Or you have to make it to for the first time. Kelly, if you're listening, we will get to the Greenbrier, and I will get to the Greenbrier for the first time. I've heard a lot about and read a lot about the Greenbrier over the last three years, so... We will get there, just not, unfortunately, today, as we are... Where did you hear about it, Matt? Ten miles from the Tamarack as darkness encroaches. Uh, I heard about the Greenbrier from, apparently, everybody except you, Guy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a special place, and we were fortunate on this trip to, to go to three special non-miniature golf courses. That's true. Again... Thank you so much for listening to all the podcasts that we have put out this week. This is the fourth, really, about and from the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association Conference and show in incredible, impeccable, even in the off-season, Myrtle Beach. We will be back there next November, right before Thanksgiving, and it cannot come quickly enough. I love that show every year. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to our sponsor for this entire week, Turf T-Shirts. Put a T on your back with TurfT-Shirts.com. They have lots of great offerings for your back and, and front, for your hat, for your thirst. They sell tumblers as well at TurfT-Shirts.com. Mowing lasers, make bunkers hazards again, on and on and on. Great stuff by them, and, and thanks so much for sponsoring this week's episodes. And thanks to Guy for sitting in on four podcasts in a week. If there's one thing you are good at, it is talking about golf. And I'm multitasking right now because I'm doing that while driving. Right, but I'm holding the microphone. You're, you're, you are focused on the road, right? Yeah, I wish it was daylight out because we're driving through a beautiful stretch of West Virginia on Interstate 77. We're getting ready to stop at the Tamarack. So if you've ever driven through West Virginia, you probably know what the Tamarack is. And we're getting ready to stop there. 
We'll catch you next week. There are new episodes of Greens with Envy off the course, Tartan Talks, Beyond the Page, just about every Tuesday on the Superintendent Radio Network. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or listen to them all on golfcourseindustry.com. For Guy Cipriano and everybody else at Golf Course Industry Magazine, I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in Ohio the next time you hear from us, but a year cannot come quickly enough for us to record again in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Carolina.